Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I was getting ready for the shower and really just kicking my shoe off. And I noticed that my leg was moving a little, a little differently. I couldn't kick my, my flip flop off. And, and honestly, I thought, wow, you know, something, something strange is going on, but I had, you know, I'd pulled my calf muscle the day before just running up and down the the yard chasing after the kids. (laughs) Within 10 minutes, I think I went from what felt like a pulled muscle to not being able to to move my leg at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, I start to slip and I kind of grab onto the handle and Catherine noticed that something was wrong. And I call her over and I say, hey, I need help. And the only place I could go at that point was, was down. You know, everything in my head is saying, oh, this is a stroke. But I feel very, you know, cognitively aware of everything that's happening. And I feel like that's kind of out of the ordinary for a stroke. My wonderful wife, uh, she helps me down on the ground and immediately calls 911. And they start going through, you know, the the stroke protocol. Like, hey, you know, what what day is it? What year is it? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, they're asking me questions that I don't know if I can answer (laughs) on on a normal day. As the EMTs are coming, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the children because I know that this is huge and we're going to the hospital and it's the kids before school. We would be driving them to school any minute. So I, you know, I called anybody I could to get to get the kids taken care of. Um, and I couldn't get anybody on the phone at that moment. I was trying to get them out of the house before the EMTs came, just so that wasn't scary or traumatizing. And I, I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get anybody on the phone in the in the moment. And so I told them, hey guys, you know, come up to our room, come sit on our bed. We're gonna meet some firemen. It felt kind of like that was all there was time to do. It all it all happened very quickly. I ran down, opened the front door, and they came in and, and got him set up. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. An arteriovenous malformation. AVM, is an abnormal tangle of blood vessels connecting arteries and veins which disrupts normal blood flow and oxygen circulation. AVMs can sometimes rupture, resulting in a bleed on the brain. In this episode, we'll hear from Jonathan Isbell and his wife Catherine from Smyrna in Georgia. Jonathan suffered a stroke at the age of 40. I look at it as just a normal average kind of guy we have two kids currently they are five and three and i guess at the time they were were four and two but you know just you know i look at myself as just a normal family guy dad and husband and and tried to to play that role hobbies like to play video games and grill out and spend time outside with the kids and date nights with with my wife and you know just normal things like that 
we work in HR. And so we were both working from home during the pandemic with little kids. So that kind of been our life leading up to the stroke was first trying to navigate that, you know, also in my career career as an HR professional was supporting the pandemic efforts. So it really kind of our life had been shaken up in that way, along with along with everyone else in the world. March 7th was just a normal day for me starting out. It was a Monday. So getting up out of bed and started my day off as normal. It was a Monday morning. So getting ready for, for work, which involved some some quiet time for me. Breakfast, coffee, watching a little TV before we hit the ground running with the kids and kind of starting that routine. But get the kids up out of bed and get them ready with, with snacks and whatnot cartoon for them to watch as I go to to hop in the shower. I guess that's when my day started to to change. I was getting ready for the shower and really just kicking my shoe off and I noticed that my leg was moving a little a little differently. I couldn't kick my my flip-flop off and and honestly I thought, wow, you know, something something strange is going on, but I had you know, I'd pulled my calf muscle the day before just running up and down the, the yard chasing after the kids. Because <laughs> he's 40. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I think, oh, well, I'm 40 years old. I, you know, just chased after the kids and pulled my muscle. And that's nothing out of the ordinary. So I just kind of went about my, my day and reached down, took my shoe off and hopped in the shower. But kind of it stuck in my mind. So I was like, all right, let me just pay attention to that because it just seemed it seemed odd. And then it's like, all right, well, let me, you know, let me use my, my left hand to, you know, as I'm, as I'm washing and see how that feels. And it just, it felt a little off, nothing like too crazy, but it just felt a little off. And as, as I'm in the shower, you know, my left leg, it started to quickly worsen. Luckily, Catherine was in the bathroom and I wasn't going to let her go far because something seemed, you know, odd and, and worsening quickly. And within 10 minutes, I think, I went from what felt like a pulled muscle to not being able to to move my leg at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, I start to slip and I kind of grab onto the handle and Catherine noticed that something was wrong. And I call her over and I say, hey, I need help. And the only place I could go at that point was was down. So we turn off the shower and she helps me down to, to the floor. And it's, it's hard to describe. I describe it as like a drain on my left side, you know, in my foot where the life of my left side, starting from my toe and working its way up is just slowly draining out of my body. And you can feel it happening and there's nothing you could do, you know, and as this is happening, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, my life is about to change and this is going to be big. I don't know what it is. You know, everything in my head is saying, oh, this is a stroke. But I feel very, you know, cognitively aware of everything that's happening. And I feel like that's kind of out of the ordinary for a stroke. My wonderful wife, uh, she helps me down on the ground and immediately calls 911. And they start going through, you know, the the stroke protocol. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. You know, what what day is it? What year is it? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, they're asking me questions that I don't know if I can answer <laughs> on, a, on a normal day. And so, you know, I'm trying to pull it together. And I, I think I get all those answers right. And, you know, they're looking at my face. Is it is it droopy? And nothing like that was happening for mm-hmm. me. But, you know, I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I stayed alert the entire time. You know, I look back on that day. 
I don't know that I could give you a, a play-by-play recount of that day, especially once we get to the hospital, because it was all a blur and quite, quite stressful. I feel like I was pretty aware of everything that was going on that day as it was happening. Catherine Isbell happened to be in the bathroom with Jonathan when he suffered his stroke. As the EMTs are coming, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the children because I know that this is huge and we're going to the hospital and it's the kids before school. We would be driving them to school any minute. So I, you know, I called anybody I could to get to get the kids taken care of um, and I couldn't get anybody on the phone at that moment. I was trying to get him out of the house before the EMTs came, just so that wasn't scary or traumatizing. And I, I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get anybody on the phone in the in the moment. And so I told them, hey, guys, you know, come up to our room, come sit on our bed. We're going to meet some firemen. It felt kind of like that was all there was time to do it all. It all happened very quickly. I ran down, opened the front door and they came in and, and got him set up. By then, I had a, a darling neighbor come over who was kind of handling the kids, a friend coming to pick them up to school. I jammed just stuff in a bag that we would need, and I ran out to the ambulance, and they actually wouldn't let me go with him because of COVID stuff. And so I'm 99% sure. But they also told me, go get your car. You're going to want your car. They said, just get your car. Don't try to follow us. Don't try to drive through <laughs> red lights, but get in your car and come to the hospital right now. So I followed in the car. And before I could get to the hospital, they were calling me to tell me that it was a brain hemorrhage, which at that point, they didn't say anything about stroke. So I hadn't made that connection yet, but said um, it was a brain hemorrhage and I could barely, I think, barely process that that was happening. And I was trying to call his mom on the way to the hospital. I was trying to call my mom on the way to the hospital. And, you know, I hardly knew what to tell your mom. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how quickly it all happened. I think in, in about an hour I lost all function of my left side, you know, from the neck down, essentially, with the exception of could barely move my thumb. And I found out that I was bleeding, you know, in my brain and that blood was toxic to the brain, you know, so I was saying, yeah, yeah, to the brain tissue. So I was like, oh, okay, well, let's get that blood off the brain and fix it up. You know, I'll be good in a heal. Yeah. In a week or so. Then I was like, no, this is brain damage we can't reverse it. So it was just like, Oh, wow, this is a lot to take in. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of why I say, yeah, I can, I don't have everything to piece together from that day because it was just everything I learned was just life altering. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, you have brain damage that stays with you forever. You get to relearn how to walk. You know, the next step you take will be like the first step you've ever taken. And it's going to be tough. You know, it's just hard to piece all that together. They gave me that CT scan right away. And, you know, it's just like classic me. I'm making jokes as we're coming out of that scan. Oh, my gosh, he was. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and they're like, oh, well, we think the bleeding has stopped. And I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's that's good news. You know, and again, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, what a blessing. The bleeding has stopped, which it, it really was because mm-hmm. they didn't have to, to cut mm-hmm. into me. But I'm also thinking like, all right, it stopped, you know, so y'all can get in there and just suck the blood out and, and fix the problem, patch me up. I'm going to be out of here, you know, tomorrow and living my life back to normal in, in two days. And man, I was I was far off on that. You know, just I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. Jonathan spent some time in inpatient rehab. Get into the hospital March 7th stay in that ICU until March 10th. And that's when they transfer me over to inpatient rehab. And I do, you know, what I would consider intense Mm -hmm. inpatient rehab 
for up until uh, April the 8th. That's when they released me from that. You're surrounded by just this amazing team who encourages you in ways that you need because uh, you're really learning how to, to stand up and walk. And, you know, like day one, they come in. It's like, oh, here's how you dress yourself. And I was really taken back by that because it's like, oh, I don't want to learn how to dress myself. I want to learn how to get up and, and start running and chase after my kids again. But it's really that you have to learn to crawl before you walk. And it's like, oh, no, we need to teach you how to dress yourself. And then we're going to teach you how to brush your teeth and put on deodorant, just the very basics. This is how you put on socks with just one hand. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to put on socks with two hands and and get up and run. And it's like, oh, well, you can't you can't physically do that. So they they teach you those little things. But in doing that, you start to learn how to to use your left arm again and, and your left leg or, or whatever it is, you know, and, and going into that. They were like, oh, the average time in inpatient rehab is two weeks. So my my first thought was just full of ignorance was, okay, that means in two weeks, mm-hmm. I'm going to be back to normal. And it's far from that. That just means in, in the average time in two weeks, they're going to get you to a point where you can live on your own. And it's not that in two weeks, you're going to be back to where you were. It's in two weeks, you can take care of yourself in whatever capacity that means. And leave the hospital safely. That's right. Yeah, safely take care of yourself. I think in my case, they extended me to a month because I was making good progress. And I don't know if that's me bragging, tooting my own horn or whatever, but I was really pushing hard to stay as long as I could to get as much from that as I could. You know, if I could benefit from a month in inpatient rehab, then I wanted to stay there for a month. As painful as that was to be away from my family, I wanted to you know, get as much benefit as I could. So they were able to work with insurance or whatever and to extend that to a month and, and get me that inpatient rehab and extend my goals. And I really did benefit from that. So what went from the original plan of me moving back home after two weeks and, and really setting up camp on the main level of our house it, it extended to me being able to go up and down stairs on my own and getting in and out of the shower on my own, you know, things like that, more of a, what I would have considered normal living and taking care of myself unassisted, which is where I wanted to be. So that was kind of my inpatient journey. And it was tough, you know, every day was tough and just new challenges. This is so cliche, I think, but they, they tell you, Oh, attitude is, 80% of it, but it really is. You have to quickly decide, do you want to stay in bed or do you want to get up and, and start walking? And for me, I want to walk, you know, I want to be able to teach my kids how to ride their bike and chase after them and things like that. And that's still, still my goal. And to do that, you have to push every single day and be okay with stumbles along the way or be okay with falling or failing, however you want to look at it. And that may mean, you know, putting on a bandaid cause you fell and scraped your knee or, you know, having to pull yourself up off the ground. And I'm okay with that. Sometimes that's scary and that's okay. You just have to embrace that. But after they let me out of inpatient rehab, it was a very quick transition to home living and outpatient rehab. So just, just continued that. Coming up, Jonathan on living with AVM we think is going to take about two years for it to really, really fix it, which is somewhat discouraging. But, you know, it's, it's great to know that, you know, I'm better today than I was 
a month ago or six months ago or really 20 years ago <laughs> with this ticking time bomb that was in my head that I just didn't know about. And Catherine on spreading the word. I think we've been on this joint mission to really show firsthand how how much power that faith and positivity and a strong support network can have on recovery. In fact, Jonathan was just telling me last night that he knows someone who's been been following us on Instagram and showing his videos of look how positive he is, look at the progress he's made. This is, you know, really, really can be impactful. And I think we've we've seen that in our lives. Let's hear how doctors found the cause of Jonathan's stroke. This whole time we didn't know what caused the stroke. So we they thought that it could have been a birth aneurysm and there would be no evidence, you know, once because they couldn't see through the blood. So in the scans. And so this whole time was kind of assuming. And the best case scenario in that moment was that it was an aneurysm that had ruptured and there would be no evidence by the time we could see it and no risk of that happening again. And so we had very false expectations that this would be kind of an upward progress, that recovery would just be this linear straight line. You know, so it was not too long after that where then you did that angiogram and confirmed the AVM. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, thank you. I'm so focused on the exercise part of this and the physical and occupational therapy that, you know, I quickly forget that in the middle of all of this, you're still going to countless doctor's appointments, you know, neurology, general practitioner, physiology, you know, just all these doctors I didn't even know existed. And now it's just normal, like almost on a first name basis with these, these people that are just amazing. And through all of this, we do find that it's an AVM. And then it's like, all right, here are your treatment options. So you go in and you treat it. And then it's like, all right, here's the next treatment option. So they do an embolism, which fixes 80% of it. Then after that, it's like, all right, here's radiation treatment, which we hope takes care of the, the remaining 20%. But the downside of that is we think it's going to take about two years for it to really, really fix it, which is somewhat discouraging. But, you know, it's, it's great to know that, you know, I'm better today than I was a month ago or six months ago or really 20 years ago <laughs> with this ticking time bomb that was in my head that I just didn't know about. So truly blessed in that sense and excited to know that it's just getting better, but still continuing down that that outpatient outpatient rehab. So through all of this, you know, transitioned into that and and focused on occupational therapy where we were working on that left arm and physical therapy, which is really focused on the leg. And they, you know, kicked me out of occupational therapy pretty quickly because I regained full motion in that left arm. It came back pretty quick in my hand to, you know, where I'm, if you were to look at me, that left arm and hand, it functions pretty well. I can sit down at a keyboard and type and I, you know, I I quickly go to that left arm and use it automatically. Now I don't really have to to think about it, but still working on that left leg, mainly from the the knee down, you know, I wear a AFO, a a brace to, to walk and, and still keep that cane close by, but still, still working on it. They keep scaling me back. So started out three days a week, then, then go down to two days a week. And then I think yesterday was my last day of two days a week. And we're looking at a, one day a week. And, you know, and, and part of that is, is your home therapy as well. You know, if you're going to physical therapy or any kind of therapy, say two days a week and they give you homework, they want you to do that seven days a week. So it's almost a full-time job to 
to get it was. back. To, yeah. When I he mean, first came back, that's by the time he finished his first round of exercises, it'd be time to start again. And I'm still doing it like crazy and, and transitioning back into, uh, you know, full-time work and everything. So it's, it's a lot to balance, you know, work, family, therapy, but you, you keep working to find that balance and get feedback from, from those you love and, those that, that take care of you, your care team and just try to listen and, and balance and, and find that balance that works, you know, and, and anybody else is going through it. You just got to hope that, that your employer can understand and, and work with you. And I'm certainly blessed to have a family and support group and employer that, that does understand and they're quick to work with me and, and helpful of that. I think we've been on this joint mission to really show firsthand how, how much power that faith and positivity and a strong support network can have on recovery. In fact, Jonathan was just telling me last night that he knows someone who's been, been following us on Instagram and showing his videos of look how positive he is. Look at the progress he's made. This is, you know, really, really can be impactful. And I think we've, we've seen that in our lives. Catherine set up an Instagram account called wife after stroke. I started it up to spread stroke awareness, to give insight into what our lives are like and how really, really, truly how those three things, the faith, positive attitude and a strong support network can impact recovery. I'm not a big social media person at all. And so this was it was really just a God thing one day. I swear it just came in my head. You need to do Instagram. It needs to be wife after stroke. It all happened. I mean, I remember getting in the car and trying to remember, you know, I, I, this is something I'm, I'm feeling very led to do. And it's been, I think, impactful to others. It's connected me to caregivers and to other stroke survivors who are going through similar things and who, who can appreciate and relate and who can really just be impacted by by what we're going through and seeing. And um, it's been, it's been therapy for me. It's been a, a creative outlet and a, a therapeutic outlet, you know, just to kind of get the word out and show. And I, you know, I, I get told often, whether it's just from, from followers on Instagram or, or from colleagues or our friends and family, just that our positivity and the way I speak about it positively, um, like, you know, kind of the, in this shock, like, wow, I'm just surprised you're talking about this so positively. But I think that, you know, I've said it a few times on Instagram, it's that positivity is a choice. And I would never have ever in my life ever, ever, ever want this to happen to, to Jonathan or, or to anybody out there, but it did. And here we are. And so I think making that choice of how you're going to approach it and how you're going to control the way you respond and you react. Um, and so we're real, we're really just hoping to help others any way we can. And I, I feel like that was that was the way that I was being led to help others. And I think we've, we've seen that on a um, really special level. I feel like I've made some, some Instagram friends and, um, and, and Jonathan has too. And it's- Oh yeah. And, but let's be clear, you know, positivity is important, but we're not like skipping down the street every day, <laughs> just like singing songs and, and clapping and, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs. Thank it's, goodness this happened to us. Yeah. It's not like that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, some days you just, you want to cry and you do cry. <laughs> yeah. And, and you do cry. And I mean, it's, it's tough. Like that, the day I was going down in the shower and I thought this is going to be life-changing and it's going to be tough. I was not wrong. I mean, it's life-changing. It's tough. Every day's tough. Doesn't mean you can't stop and, and laugh or make jokes at your own expense or whatever. I mean, 
that's not for everybody, but it certainly is for us. And we, and we do that. And, you know, where can you laugh and where can you have fun in that positive attitude? You know, it's, it's hard every day to, to get up early, but I still want to walk and chase after my kids. And that may mean I have to get up and dig in and, and do stuff. And I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I can, I can do that, but you know, you still have to listen to your your mind and body. And Jonathan told me early on, I we might have still been in the ICU, and he said that I know this has happened for a reason, and I can't wait to see what that reason is. I, I truly believe something good's going to come of this. For himself and his young family, Jonathan's stroke came out of the blue. But with the incredible support of his wife, Catherine, he's making strong progress in his recovery. And they both hope to spread more awareness around strokes and AVM. Thank you very much for supporting us at Stroke Stories, for recommending the podcast to people you think it can help, and for rating and commenting on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you're a stroke survivor or you know of one and there's a story you can share please get in touch. Our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.